I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, no. I forgot to write a funny line. (laughs) 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 There we have. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point, wow. The Fates, the gods are with the gods. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. Oh, it's been a week of PR disasters around AFL, which means that we've got plenty to talk about. Those people doing the talking. How are you, Alicia, sometimes? A PA, oh God, a PR disaster myself, but I'm pumped. <laughs> well, that's why it's God. good to have you here. You're an expert. <laughs> Mumbling next to her is Lucy Race. How are you? I'm very well and hopefully articulate. And how are you today, Kate Sear, Kevin Rudd, Brett Lee, lookalike? You well? I'm, I'm, I'm a disaster, not a PR disaster, just a disaster. Oh, so happy bless. to be here. But at least we've got Nicole. She's going to hold it all together. I'm, I'm the only one here who's got it going, obviously. I'm fine. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You're rocking the casbah. I'm Emma Race and I have an apology from one Felicity Race who is out because she is just a PR nightmare. <laughs> so we Isn't thought it, um, ship her out. Osteitis pubis? Yeah. Mm. Not hers. Someone else's. (laughs) She's tending to it. Exactly. Um, Well, let's kick off um, the chat because actually before all the PR disasters happened, there was some amazing football on the weekend um, that has been. And I think Omen Watch was getting some Twitter love, Kate It was, yeah. I don't know. I consistently am surprised that people um, take interest in these kind of things (laughs) and listen. But I wanted to talk about, there were so many things that we could talk about from the round. There were a number of interstate winners, upset winners, all kinds of things going on. But I wanted to focus on the draw, uh, GWS and Geelong, which was a fascinating game. So we've talked before on this program about palindromes and how palindromes have featured a little bit this season. Um, And I wanted to talk about the symmetry of the draw. (laughs) So I want to just take you through a few things that um, that I noticed in relation to the draw. The first is that... That draw was the middle game of the round, okay? So there were four games played and then we had the draw in the middle and then there were another four games afterwards in 68 points all. So there's some symmetry in that, first of all. The other thing is that the game took place on the evening of the 1st of July. Now, the 1st of July is the 182nd day of the year and so it's basically the exact middle point of the year. Because... And it's 1717. Exactly. Oh. Oh. Exactly. Alicia sometimes She's is bringing what you're it. Throwing. So, yes, so there were 100 and, about 182 and a half days that had expired in the year and about 182 and a half to go almost exactly. Um, I looked a little bit at what happens on the 1st of July, you know, what what sort of that date means in history and historic events and so on. There are all kinds of things. You can look at it on Wikipedia, which is where I do all of my best work. <laughs> work. So lots of interesting things have happened in history. Um, the start of the very first Tour de France, which, of course, is happening at the moment, was on the 1st of July in 1903. 
Um, o Canada became the national anthem for Canada on that day. 150 years, by the way. Yes, yes. yes. A Canadian birthday. Yes. Um, but on 1908, on the 1st of July 1908, SOS was adopted as the international distress signal. So this is where the omen, the sense of Uh-oh. doom comes back in for me. And it's a palindrome. And it's a palindrome. <laughs> exactly. So you see how everything mm. is now starting to come together. Of course, I had to look at what Trump was tweeting at the same time as that game was happening. <laughs> and he tweeted that the era of strategic patience with North Korea has failed. And then, of course... North Korea launched or tested an intercontinental ballistic missile. So I'm back to feeling that it's end of days and really that um, that game on Saturday marked the beginning of the end. Do you think I can make an egg stand on its tip today at that moment? Yes. Right? Yes. That's a fact. And if Science. you drown a witch and she floats, it means that there's going to be a draw. What does it mean for the footy though? I mean, what did the draw Well, I think we're mean. going to talk about that. I just explained it, Alicia. <laughs> Perfectly clear. (laughs) End of days. Can I have just a little footnote in here, which is I'm going off on a tangent, but the score was 10868, but it reminded me that my favourite score is 10666. Yes. And does anyone else go, Battle of Hastings? (laughs) No. No. You do. I love that you have a favourite score. She has a favourite score line. Nicole, you were intrigued by the draw. I was. Well, firstly... Did you tip it? Did you tip a draw? Have I, you ever tipped a draw? Anyone? I've never tipped a draw. Because no. I'm, I'm um, philosophically opposed to the notion of a draw. Yeah. I think it's bollocks. They should, I think they're dumb. They should have time on. You should have a bloody score. You should have an outcome after all of that. It's not like you've one goal like in soccer where you've only, you know, it's so hard to get a single goal. You get these ridiculous scores. The fact that you end up with no outcome, I'm, I am not okay with this. Wow. So for, that's my first point. And my second point... <laughs> Is that did anybody else notice that a few minutes, you know, as soon as um Jonathan Patton scored the, his fourth goal, which was the leveler, right near the end in, in that deep into that final quarter, he just ran straight off the be- off to the yep. bench, which they do for some reason when you kick a goal. It's a reward, S- something, and then he <laughs> got stuck there for several minutes. Scores a level. There's literally minutes to go. He's stuck there because the ball's on the other side of the ground. And, you know, in the meantime, the Hawkins play goes on and he ends up with the ball. So for I just think this idea of the automatic rest after a goal should possibly go on hold in situations where, one, you're the final minutes of the game, mm. two, scores are level, mm. and three, the player you're resting is your key forward. Yeah. I just, <laughs> this would seem... It's a no-brainer. Right? Mm. It actually is a no-brainer. <laughs> That, uh, I'm glad that you've brought it up because right? it does. I don't see it as a reward. I see it as a punishment. Yes. When you're sprinting towards um, the boundary and you've just kicked a goal, I think I see that as a reverse. I yeah. don't know. I, I wouldn't. If I was a player, I'd be like, "Leave me out here. I've got form. I just kicked a goal." Mm, I think it's a take a load off rule. It's like, mm. yeah, you've done some work. Take a oh, load off. Your job's done. Your job's There's done. minutes to go. But can't we just <laughs> hoik whoever's closest to the interchange gate off? I think it can be more difficult than that, but I'm sort of stuck back on what you said earlier, Lucy, about it being a reward because I'm now thinking that I wonder if what happens is they run off and they get like a little lolly snake or something like that. <laughs> that that's too. what Patton went off for and well, he's don't gorging they have on red frogs or Hello? something. Couldn't the trainer run a snake my out? approach to physical <laughs> exercise. <laughs> and I'm impressed Nicole said bollocks. Same. I'm still stuck too. on that's that. The, surely that's the name of today's episode. <laughs> it's bollocks. bollocks. Would it you down. want, Alicia, would you want to see time on in a draw situation? Are you happy with the draw? I'm happy with the draw except I'm glad about grand final change because that 2010 yes. just destroyed me. Yes. And 
I was and your marriage. Uh, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my dad's kidding. a sainter, right? And I, I was going for the saints, and but it's just that thing. I just wanted resolution on the day. Too much build up, but during the season, I like a draw. I yeah, like it. I do too because I think the two points that you get when you split the points, they actually can be really valuable. They can be two points yeah, that you four need. Four is more valuable. I understand True. that, <laughs> but two Bollocks. points could save you. Okay, so how do we? Where do we sit on red cards? Yeah, how do you feel Good about question. a red card, Lucy? I've come around to it and I, I was always against it and I think there might have been a Twitter poll on the Outer Sanctum Twitter feed last week asking about this question and I voted, no, I don't want one. And then a few incidents happened and I've actually come around. I've changed my mind. I think that it's a massive uh, disadvantage to a team who loses a player and I think in an instance where something's happened behind play or off the ball where there is the ability to do a video review and have a look at it. Um, and if it's something that is is quite blatant, mm. then I'm in favour of it. Pull and them off. Does anyone else have a strong feeling, Alicia? Well, if you draw the – where do you draw the line? I agree. Mm. I think I'm with you that if it's something that's quite despicable and it's off play – Absolutely a red card. But then it's that line of, you know, they accidentally hit and it's something maybe at the tribunal they might get four weeks for. But how do you know at that time? I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I think we have to trust that our umpires a little bit to be able to tell the difference between, you know, an, an incident that's clearly, you know, part of play and one that's not. Yeah. Um, I mean, not part of play. There's no confusion there. If, yeah. if, the, well, ga- the, if the ball's bu- not there. The bug one just was flat out. So flat out. Flat Absolutely. Out. Katie? Yeah, just to go back to the poll, it was interesting. We did run a little poll and, and admittedly, as you said, Lucy, this was before the Ali Fahua incident became public and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But... 48% of people said that they supported the idea of uh, a red card. 52% didn't. Um, and a few people did make mention that perhaps we needed something else, not necessarily a red card where a player is sent off, but that that particular player is sent off and someone can substitute for them so that you don't yeah. have uh, a lost player. But the interesting thing for me, Nick, coming back to your question of what is clearly outside the boundaries of the game or the rules of the game, I often think about that incident in soccer in the um, 2006 uh, World Cup final where Zinedine Zidane was sent off uh, after headbutting another player in the chest. And as it turns out, apparently that player had said something quite provocative or offensive about maybe Zidane's mum or, or sister or daughter or something very lewd and crude. Um, and that to me is an example of, of an incident which was clearly outside the the, the boundaries of the game and the spirit of the game, but also not a violent assault that knock he didn't knock that player out or anything. But to me, it was determinative, determinative of the result. Uh, France mm-hmm. lost. Mm-hmm. I think France may well have won if Sudan had have been able to play on. And to me, it was a great disappointment watching that game, not only because it had been a terrific game to that point, but also because I'd gotten up at like three o'clock in the morning to watch <laughs> it and that was not. So, uh, yeah, how you, would de- how you would define what's in and out is probably mm. the big challenge, but I think it's a very important discussion. And a question for you, Kate, is you've often talked about when people sanction players, like when, say, for something off field, if a player is sanctioned by the club, that then when it goes to a court, that they look at what has already that player has already served 
um, yes. in terms of a penalty and whether or not it's then adjusted what they get handed down. So it may then have flow-on effects to the tribunal or to the match review panel or yes. something like that if yes. they have already been punished in such a public way with the red card system. I, I thought it was interesting going back to the NRL, how they have the bunker where mm. they have that mm. third umpire because if if it's like the naughty to, corner. The no- exactly. <laughs> it but should be called that. That they can review it as the game is going. Yeah. I would see if there was a red card situation. I wouldn't necessarily need it to be called in that moment. Mm-hmm. I'd be fine if at the next break that person's told your persona non grata for the rest of the game, Lucy. I think, you know, you make a really good point, Em, in that there is there's kind of precedent. So if the people who are watching the game realise that there's an extra person on the field they can get a message out to the umpires and stop the game and um, then whatever it is that happens there. Yeah. Yeah. And so that kind of system's already available. Mm, Extra eyes on the game. If we're able to do it in the case of having an extra person on the field, I think we're able to do it in terms of willful violence on the field. Yeah, you would think so. Maybe check that word, willful violence. I don't know. but For me then the only question really becomes if we go with the red card system, whether there needs to be some kind of ceremony around the player's ejection (laughs) from the field because I'm wondering whether there should be a sort of survivor type. The time for playing has expired and your torch is extinguished. Exactly. Mm. The third umpire has spoken or whatever it might be. I'm glad you took that to such a stupid place before we get into serious talk because I just want to say when you said lewd and crude You've never looked more like Kevin Rudd. Yes. Fair shake of the sauce bottle ever raised. Magic Chinese. Okay, so before we move on, um, we will talk about what's happened at the AFL level and with Ali for her, which is, was handed down last night, the penalty um, to him. But there was also some terrible news last night that came out um, a legal matter, which I'm not at all equipped to talk about, Kate Sear, but um, Jake King and Ty Vickery, um, their names were in the news last night and it appears that there's something untoward has happened clearly off the field. Um, This is just bad for the game, isn't it? It's bad for society, it's bad for the game. I don't know. I think... um... I'm going to give a very legalistic answer here. I'm sounding more and more like Kevin Rudd as the episode (laughs) progresses. But, um, look, I don't know. I think it's too soon to say. Clearly there's an investigation going on and um, there are some some suggestions of potentially untoward or unlawful behaviour. I think it's, you know, we're going to have to see how it plays out. But... um, what what I thought was most disappointing about it actually was looking at Twitter and social media overnight, the instant pile-on, particularly of Ty Vickery saying, you know, you know, all kinds of things about his his form and whether he should have ever come to Hawthorne and all kinds of crazy accusations being thrown around and conflating the sort of things that are going on off-field with what's going on on-field. I think that's unfair and actually just um, prejudicial to the whole process. And I think, people, you know, I, I always feel very passionately about the need for people to let these things play out. Um, when I say it's not great, and I tried to lure you into saying that then, all I mean is that Gil McLaughlin didn't wake up this morning and do the dance oh, yes. that Hugh yeah. Grant does in Love Actually mm. down the stairs mm. to the Pointer Sisters. Does I anyone have thought do so. that? I do. I do. Um, yeah. yeah, I think Nicole? we should spare a thought for the PR team at the AFL. They're having a they're having a time of it. I just did a, I just curated the headlines of um, from the last twenty four hours. This is all from one paper, by the way. Um, and I'm just going to run down the headlines for you that were to do with the AFL. Harbour loses license after drink driving guilty plea. 
Bug cops six-match ban for punching Mills. Magpie Thomas has greater perspective after drugs ban. As the ugly incidents mount, mount up, is footy out of control? We are, we, these are all headlines. We all make mistakes. Tiger Hooley defends for who ahead of hearing. Lucrative contract weighs heavily on number one draft pick Boyd. Boyd takes break due to depression. Jake King charged with making threats to kill. Ty Vickery released without charges pending further investigation. AFL diversity manager Ali Fahua suspended for 14 weeks. Fahua receives lifetime ban over knockout punch. Fahua quits AFL. So that's... 24 hours from hell. for, yeah. uh, yeah. And it proves that you need either pauses or commas because you just said Jake King kills <laughs> Chai Vickery. <laughs> Sorry. That's right. The Oxford comma. Of course you had that, that happen. That didn't happen. <laughs> no. You know the only person who's happy about those headlines? Tennis Australia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah, really. Nick Kyrgios. Mm. Well, both yeah. of them. Oh, is that know. the one? Well, yeah, well, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy, well, oh my God. Tom, yes, yeah. Tommy. But, I mean, you know, I get all my male but... tennis players, they all look the same to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Tennis yeah. menace. So Ali Fohu has been, he's got a lifetime ban on playing and he has, in his words, um, did he say step down or yes. he didn't say resigned. He didn't step say down. Step down from his role at the AFL. It's a really unfortunate situation when you hold that post at the AFL Um I had my take on it, which is I think it's my go-to, so everyone just sit down and have a big long yawn while I rant about this. <laughs> but I think um, there's a missed opportunity. Um, this has happened in a week when a coward punch has ultimately ended the life of a surgeon, um, which is just the most devastating part of this story, of course. And um, I was just thinking there's an education. This man has a profile. He has links and ties to the AFL. What an opportunity for him to go and do some actual real community service, which is research into what happens with coward punches and how it can affect people's families and communities. And perhaps he can then come back and report to all of us, but report into all of the leagues and all of the teams that he's had something to do with or use his contacts within the AFL to go out and speak about this stuff because the punch is the same whether it happens on the field or off the field. It still can do the same damage. So I was thinking, how can we turn this around? Mm. How can this be a positive story? And I think there's an opportunity there. I know that it's going to be pretty raw for the next couple of days for him and his family and for everyone that works at the AFL um, to kind of, work out what next but I would love to see something like that happen yeah my my take is to I guess go to language and to go to the way that things have been reported and I found it quite challenging to hear people talk about brain snaps and brain fades yeah. in mm. terms of um, what Ali Fahur did on on the football field and I think all I had in my mind was that there is a whole section of the population that managed to go their whole life and to be stressed and to be competitive and to play sport and to get into arguments. But there is a whole section of the community who go their whole life and never once punch somebody in the head. Yeah, so And to, to call it a brain snap or a brain fade, you know, for me, a brain fade is when I leave the shopping list on the bench and I go <laughs> yeah. to the supermarket yeah. and don't know what I'm buying. That's a brain fade. Mm. Um we need to be quite clear that there is other issues at play here in terms of um, how somebody thinks it's okay to behave and people who have issues in terms of anger management or managing what has been called white line fever. And I think that 
any education or any way that we move forward in this is to really look at that explicitly and to, to talk about strategies, I guess, that people can employ if, if, if that's an mm. issue that they have. Yeah, I was reading about the, this issue, you know, just this morning and um, I a quote from uh, Katerina Politi, I think her name is, is uh, mother of David, who is a teen killed by a coward punch in 2012. And she's been advocating um, and goes out to talk to footy clubs to address this issue, the culture of violence around football. And she's out there like just dedicating her life to trying to, to, to address it at the ground level. And her quote really moved me. She said, if what we're doing is not supported by the top level, I'm wasting my time. Mm. And I think, you know, what you talk about with the education, there's a real opportunity to make this a, 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 not a PR exercise, an actual genu- genuine desire to, to um, force change. Absolutely. Kate, you caught up with someone who um, deals with this stuff and yeah. had an interesting um, light to shed on it. Take, yeah, I'm... So much of the mainstream media discussion this week seemed to be about whether there should be a red card, a discussion that we ourselves have just had. But one issue that I felt uh, slipped under the radar a little bit this week, but which I did see people asking about on social media, was whether and in what circumstances this becomes a criminal matter, um, one for which the police might decide to intervene. And so um, my colleague, Dr Eric Windholtz, uh, in the law faculty at Monash, and I sat down to have a talk about this. Eric is a lecturer in sports law, is an expert in occupational health and safety law as well, um, which is relevant, and uh, he helped me to unpack all of those issues. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Eric, to have a chat about the week's events. Um, I wanted to start off by talking to you about how we understand the role of the AFL and then other organisations or authorities, particularly the police, in matters like the ones we've seen this week. Um, So is it true, first of all, that when something like this takes place, it's purely the role of the AFL to manage it? Or is there ever a situation where, say, the criminal law might decide to get involved? Well, first, Kate, thanks very much for asking me to speak to you about this. I really do appreciate the opportunity Clearly, this is a matter for the AFL. AFL have rules that prohibit violence behind play, unnecessary violence on the sporting field. They've got a responsibility to enforce their rules. They've also got a responsibility to protect their brand. So it's clearly their responsibility, but it's not only their responsibility. What occurred on the field, and if we just use quite simply the bug and for who incidents just as examples, they meet the the criminal law definition of assault. Mm -hmm. It is an assault... It is a criminal offence to unlawfully assault a person. Mm-hmm. Now, there are defences to that. Self-defence, duress are common defences. Consent can also be a de- defence. But what we're talking about here, what do players consent to when they enter the sporting field? Yes. I'd say they consent to conduct in the rough and tumble of the game, conduct in the competition for the ball. I think anyone would be hard-pressed to say they consent to being punched 20, 30, 40 metres behind play or to be punched when just standing around when the ball's not even in play. Mm -hmm. So in my view, on first principles, there's a criminal offence. The question then becomes, why don't the police and the prosecuting authorities intervene? So why don't they intervene? Because they they obviously can. It's within their remit to to consider intervening and perhaps charging players. And as you say, Bug and Fahur are examples, but there have been others in the past too. Do you have a view about why the police might not intervene? Well, first of all, I think it's a really good question and a question we should actually direct to the police. Mm -hmm. But my understanding is 
authorities generally, policing authority, regulators, police, um, prosecutorial authorities, respect the autonomy of sporting organisations. They generally respect the right of sporting organisations to organise their own affairs, set their own rules and enforce those rules. And while those rules are robust and effectively implemented, then there's a general deference to the sporting organisation. But that doesn't mean there aren't lines at times where the policing authorities should get involved. Mm -hmm. The most famous incident is the 1985 incident where Hawthorne great Lee Matthews broke Neville Bunn's jaw. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was charged by police, he pled guilty, and he was fined by Mm $1,000. So there is a precedent, but very rare indeed. Yes, I know. And I think you said to me earlier that perhaps in suburban football competitions there have been um, interventions in the past, but as far as we know, that that Lee Matthews incident, the most famous one, is is perhaps only the the only one that's... um, the only time the police have intervened at the AFL level, which is... Interesting and strange to me. It is, look, it's, it's, as far as I'm aware, it's the only time they've intervened at the AFL or the VFL level, right. the AFL's predecessor. Um, I am aware of criminal charges having been laid at the suburban leagues. Mm-hmm. But also, let me tell you, the suburban leagues have done a huge effort lately mm-hmm. to eliminate thuggery. Uh, one of the things that is permeating the debate right now is to whether the AFL should introduce red cards. That's something that suburban leagues have introduced in their efforts to eliminate thuggery. And indeed, the incidents today are much rarer than what they had been in the past. So I don't want to can the suburban leagues. I think they're doing a very good job. But we still, as a society, I think, need to have a debate about the place of our attitudes to violence in sport. The last couple of weeks have just been amazing. A month ago, we had George Columbaris, the MasterChef uh, judge, being charged for shoving a fan at the A-League final. Mm. Pretty innocuous, in my view. Didn't cause any harm. Last weekend, we celebrated... Yeah, a title fight and two grown men, you know, belting the, belting the daylights out of each other, yeah. quite frankly. Did you yes. get a look at the winner's face? Yes. Um, and then we've had these two incidents uh, as well. I think people would be rightfully confused if they tried to, dr- to draw a bright line and get a level of consistency through all these incidents. Yes. I think it's a debate we need to have. Yeah. The other question I wanted to ask you, Eric, is about workplace health and safety laws. I know that you're an expert in that field. And um, for someone like um, Mills, who was the Sydney player that Bug punched, AFL is his workplace. The, the sporting field is, is his workplace. How does workplace health and safety law fit within all of this? Workplace violence is a workplace health and safety issue. And in Victoria, WorkSafe Victoria, our state's regulator right now, is running an ad campaign about violence against healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. So it's a really big issue. And if you and I were assaulted in our workplace, it would be a workplace health and safety issue. Mm-hmm. As a general proposition, though, when the violence is criminal in nature, workplace health and safety regulators usually leave it to the police to deal with the criminality. The regulators then focus their attention on whether the employer had in place adequate systems to prevent the violence mm-hmm. or minimise the violence and address the risk when it arose. Again, I think the AFL have good systems in place from what I can see. They've got a robust disciplinary process. They train and educate players about what's acceptable, what's not, and they deal with incidents of violence when they arise. We can have a debate whether that's adequate or not, but they deal with it. In the suburban leagues as well, I mentioned the red card before, the suburban leagues have done great, gone to great efforts to educate young men about acceptable levels of contact, the rules, what's permittable, what's not. So I think from a systems point of view, I think they would be found to be okay. Yes, yeah. Well, that's a very, very useful explanation, Eric, of how those 
various areas of the law, criminal law, workplace health and safety law, and then the particular rules of sporting associations intersect. So it's been a very useful discussion and thank you very much for clearing it all up for us. My pleasure. I hope it helps. We'll see what happens. Uh, Thanks so much for doing that, Kate. Uh, That was very helpful to hear from Eric. Like, it actually makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, it does. (laughs) And it's going to be really interesting, I think, to see what unfolds over the next little while and whether um, anyone is charged. Watch this space, perhaps. Yeah. I just wanted, before we moved on, talking about PR um, around the AFL, interestingly, um, the AFLW um, women's had a forum last Friday and they had booked Mia Friedman as one of their keynote speakers. I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was an interesting time um, and didn't know how they would adjust. Obviously, there was a, a, a huge um, media furor around Mia Friedman quite recently. And what I noticed was that, that they did a lot of reporting on what happened and how fantastic that event was. We weren't there, but um, but there was no mention of her at all. It's almost like if you go back through the um, social media, which they cover so beautifully on the AFLW site and on their Instagram and Twitter and stuff, there's absolutely no mention of Mia Friedman as if she wasn't even there. I actually don't have confirmation that she was. I have no evidence <laughs> of it, which is so rare with social media these days, don't you think? Mm. Yeah. Someone who's a social media presence that, you know, that she's completely omitted. From that story, so doesn't feel like an accident, does it? <laughs> no, it's just interesting to yeah. see how people um, have to manage. I heard people talking about social media today and how it has affected the players. A lot of the players who are coming out and saying that they have depression or clinical depression in terms of Tom Boyd, who's taking some time out from the Western Bulldogs, and I heard Bevo saying that he would prefer it if his players weren't on social media at all, if they can avoid it. Yeah, I actually heard a discussion about this yesterday on SEN Radio with the head of the AFLPA and um, the the question that was put to him, I think, by David King was should the AFLPA sort of um, encourage players to get off social media altogether? And I think that's an important question to ask, but it really worried me because I thought the problem is not with the it, the the fault does not lie with players, and it lies with those who perhaps are trolling players, who are overly critical, who are skeptical about mental health and mental illness, who are relentless in their um, criticism of of people. Um, and you know there was a very big discussion about the importance of building resilience in players, which of course is wonderful. I think if you can be, resi- you know, uh, I have no concern about that. But um, there needs to be a discussion about it from the other end too, mm-hmm. not just about what players can do to protect themselves from offensive behaviour, because it's kind of a form of almost victim blaming well, in my is, mind. Yeah, it is victim blaming. There mm. was an article I sent you guys this week, um, which you know I've got an interest in the continual barriers to sport that we see for women and girls and a lot of them are physical things and, you know, whether mums can get to a nine o'clock netball game or, you know, whether or not girls can go swimming during their period or whatever it is. But there was an interesting take on it this week when this article that I sent you guys, um, and I don't know if anyone else has read it, but it was talking about the Lions and All Blacks. Um, They had a game last weekend um, and it was in Auckland and there was a quite a festival before the game and there was a circus troupe that was um, young performers aged, I think between 13 and 16. 13 and 16. There you go. Thanks, Nicole. All girls. Girls. And they were, it was, um, it was pre-game and um, it was out, I imagine, around the area. It wasn't inside the ground and people were just enjoying the festivities around the match and they came out to perform. They'd been practising their circus troupe, incredibly um, acrobatic and athletic and everything and that there was 
groups of men who stood at the sidelines and just were yelling the most horrible and sexist and macho and just gutter, lewd, horrible things, um, which this article outlined. And and it was the moment where the, the performers were thinking, what do we do here? Do we stop? Do we move away? Do we do we stop doing what we're doing? And they have all rights to be there. And I think Nicole and I were both really taken by that. You have a quote there, Nicole, from that um, article, which kind of spells out what the author was talking about in setting the scene. Yeah, and it was a really great piece. So this isn't a criticism because I do have a sort of a thought as a consequence of it. But um, what she said was um, they're children and it's early evening. They're in a public space performing before a family-friendly event. Their glittered young faces and brightly coloured costumes clearly present them to be the age they are and the, you know this was the basis for her just outrage that for 90 minutes they were exposed to lewd comments and horrific insults from she identified them as largely lions supporters 90 percent of them but men and um you know it's very challenging to read that that little girls and um young women need uh, are being treated that way at all but certainly in such a public space is really challenging but um i guess what the subtle undertone that in that that particular quote is that if they'd been older or if it was nighttime um that perhaps the sexual comments and abuse would be somehow a little bit more understandable and maybe somewhat more acceptable and that because they're young and that this is daytime like there were all these sort of uh, kind of justifications or at least issues that contingencies that made it more problematic and and of course it's far more appalling when it's young people and it's young girls you know that's it's much more heartbreaking and you know they have for them to be exposed to this and for the innocence to be attacked in that way is just unforgivable but the reality is there's no place for abuse in a civil society even if it's aimed at adult women because mm-hmm. this is the implication is that if they were adult women they can take it even in if a it's way. At, even if it's aimed at adult women at a at, boxing match. At a boxing match, yeah. <laughs> Which was going to be my point. Yeah. So yeah. where Sorry. it's been, no, no, it, and that's been a really interesting story to follow mm. that um, and that, that um, the girls, the women who were being attacked for hours, it sounded like mm. this abuse was going on for hours at the, at the boxing um, on the weekend, that they, that they took to social media to actually back themselves up mm. and that then all of a sudden there was a furor of you can't video mm. me well, you probably can video if you're going to sit there and hurl abuse at me mm. for three hours. I reckon I probably can video mm. you. I'm looking at the lawyer, um, but, <laughs> but I just thought what an, a really interesting. I mean, we are talking about women being empowered to go out and play sport and asking for equal pay, and when we talk about the fact that there are times when we don't feel comfortable, we've been made to feel uncomfortable mm. about being at football, Lucy being told to go home and bake a cake, which we all know would never happen. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, that's, it's a good point because that's, it's funny and I, and I can laugh at it now, but I couldn't laugh at it at no, the time. No. That made me no. feel terrible. Yeah. And there's a bit in that article where one of those young girls said, when those men were saying things to me, and I'm paraphrasing here, she said, it made me feel small. Oh, that was horrible. And that was just heartbreaking. Yeah. It's like this, there are, there's a contingent in society that says, is thinking, you know, you look like a female to me, you're in a public space, you're kind of asking for it. And mm-hmm. what, how that kind of logic flows, I don't understand, but there's a, there's a, a tacit kind of agreement mm-hmm. in society that that's, you're asking for it. Maybe they had a brain fade. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think they had a couple. Mm-hmm. Good yeah, call. I think mm-hmm. they had a couple. But I think that it just, 
brings home why it's really important that we sit here and bang on as mm. six women or five today um, and say we are going to keep turning up. Mm. We're going to try and play. We're going to, if we can get there, we're going to play during our periods. We're going to turn up and scream and shout and be as noisy and vocal and supportive of our team as mm. our male counterparts. Oh, and and that, it, but that this says it's real. It's yeah. real. What happens to you it's when you're on the outer bollocks? Yeah, it is bollocks. bollocks. And it's the last bastion seems to be in the outer. So that's where the changes are going to be made. Yeah. It has to be. And at a and also at a grassroots, grassroots. level, yeah. um, in footy clubs who are doing amazing things um, to welcome <laughs> women and girls, which seems like a perfect time for us to get into today's interview. Football clubs have far more going on than just putting a team on the track each week. Many have community programs in place, and North Melbourne is no exception. More than fifty thousand young people from low socioeconomic communities and diverse cultural backgrounds have engaged with its flagship huddle program since its inception. To hear more about what North Melbourne's community objectives are and to meet someone who's reaping its benefits, we're joined today by Cameron McLeod, who's General Manager of Community Engagement and 13-year-old footballer Amron. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum, guys. Thanks so much for having us. It's so great to have you here. Cam, can we kick it off by just asking you, what is the objective of the community programs that you run out of the North Melbourne Footy Club? We aim to inspire passion, participation and develop talent, but also importantly, I think, strength and social inclusion in our community. Football's a universal language, brings people together regardless of their background, and we are in a very culturally diverse community. So sport can play a role in actually bringing us together to ensure that we belong, and that's a fantastic opportunity for us all. We've heard a bit about the the huddle program um, in previous episodes of the Outer Sanctum, and but you're doing a lot of things in other areas, such as schools, junior football clubs, and then also sort of into the pathways of the next gen academies and mm. elite um, football pathways. Can you give us a bit of an idea of of how all of those different programs work? Yeah, we work really closely with AFL Victoria um, and similarly so with AFL Tasmania. We've designed those programs in partnership together. We've got to work with each other with our local football partners to ensure that we're growing the game holistically. So it doesn't matter who you are or what your background is, there's something in it for you. We take a really holistic approach. We aim to inspire passion in in schools um, and that starts as as young as five. And, And then we love to see that opportunity emerge through to Auskick and junior football clubs. We're doing some things that are very innovative uh, around creating safe, inclusive and welcoming sporting environments at a local football level. Because we know that there's a lot of reasons as to why people don't participate, particularly if you do come from different ethnic backgrounds or different socioeconomic backgrounds. So we want to ensure that when they arrive at those football clubs, that they feel that they, they belong. And then the, I suppose the opportunity then arises to become a coach, to become an umpire. Um, and if you're good enough to actually make it on the ground, then there's an opportunity through the Next Generation Academy, through North Melbourne, uh, to help those young people aged probably 11 to 15, um, both boys and girls, to hopefully see themselves in North Melbourne Colours one day. So someone sitting in North Melbourne Colours today is Amarin. You look like an at, like a professional footballer, I have to say. <laughs> you are 13 years old. Your team is second on the ladder at the moment. Yeah. How much do you love playing football? Oh, Lots and lots and lots. <laughs> when did you first come to Australia? Uh, 2013. And how did you find your way down into the huddle? Well, I was just walking from school one day and then I saw Bridget and the huddle just playing footy, soccer and like different sports in the Oval, Demney Park. And I was like, oh, 
why can't I just join and like meet everyone? And then first day, I was pretty scared. I just walked past, went home. And then the second week, I saw them again. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to try, you know, just talk to someone. And I went, I talked to them, and then they're like, oh, you can join and then signed up. And then uh, we're playing footy, and then Bridget asked me to play with the under-12s. And I was like, um, what's footy? (laughs) I was pretty confused. And I'm like, why not? Just try it. And I went alone. I long played with the (laughs) under-12s. My first game, I saw one of my friends got tackled. I was like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> I've never seen a game like that ever. So you're from Ethiopia. They don't play Aussie <laughs> rules football. They hadn't seen it before. No. How quickly was it that you picked up on all the skills? Yeah, pretty, yeah. Pretty quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you come to make some friends through football, Amarin? A lifetime yep. friends, long-lasting friends. Yep. And what is it you love about the sport? Uh, uh, the friends, making new friends, yeah. going to different places in Melbourne, playing. Are there things that are sometimes hard? Is it hard sometimes to get to training or to get to games? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it's pretty hard, but I usually get a ride with my friends for games. Has the huddle become, and the footy club kind of become a new version of a family for you because we see that in the men's footy a lot and in the AFLW we saw these women all bond but I wonder does that happen for you you haven't been in Australia for a very long time um has it helped you make a bigger community of people yeah I go there like on the holidays every time there's always something to do there after school if I need help with my homework I go down there uh sport go down there Second family. The huddle's been pretty good at leading stuff like that after hours as well, Cam, hasn't it? Like you yeah. still, you've got programs for people to come and do their schoolwork there. Yeah, we've got daily programs that allow people to come in, get free tutoring. So if anyone knows how expensive that can be, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a great opportunity for young people um, to, to get the opportunity of learning, whether it be English, their, their, their subjects at high school, or even in their tertiary studies. But we've also got opportunities that, that, that support uh, other <laughs> activities like digital skills and civic participation. We've got so many great ideas in our community from these young people, but they're just not being heard. So the opportunity for them to actually grow their their voices is, is, is certainly something that we help support them with. And you've grown the, you've moved the huddle, um, you've got another one out at Wyndham we have. now. Yeah, it's really How's exciting. How's that going? Uh, incredibly well. So we're doing really um, fantastic things now, reaching you know, thousands and thousands of more young people. So we're now located in, in North Melbourne at Arden Street, and we're also now located at the Youth Resource Centre in Hoppers Crossing, um, as well as in high schools across the city of Wyndham, which is the most fastest growing and uh, culturally diverse municipality in Australia. Um, and we're also now taking it to Tasmania. Yes, I thought you might bring up Tasmania. And the, <laughs> hawk, the hawk is inside of us go, ah, oh, they got there first. But um, you're doing such great work and these are really culturally diverse and really different socioeconomic um, areas that you're um, doing your outreach kind of work into. The KPIs can't all be about premierships on the no. on the park. So how how do you measure this? How do you measure the success of what you're doing? Yeah, our measures are, are really generally based around, um, we've got a really strong focus on female participation. You know, we want to embrace and, and support young people to, to inspire their futures and to also strengthen social inclusion. So a, a simple KPI is, um, if we talk about the study support program, it's how many young people are coming there on a regular basis? How many people are actually staying in school? How many people are actually sharing their stories with different generations? Those things really matter. Um, when we talk about social inclusion, so it's actually about celebrating differences. 
And, and a football club can play an incredibly important role in doing that. Um, we're only one small partner in all this. I think our partnerships with government, corporate, not-for-profits, who also share our passion in this space is also really critical for collective impact. Mm. So the partnerships is also a really strong key performance indicator for us. We can't do this alone. You know, we've got such great talent here um, through through Amarin. I mean, mm. she's the reason why we, we, we work so hard to, to help our, our, our community so much more. So Amarin, your football journey, where do you want to take this? All the way up to the AFL women's. What about captain of the North <laughs> Melbourne women's team? Is this something we should be looking out for? Definitely. <laughs> what did you think when you saw the AFLW start this year? Oh, that was just eye-opening. I was really excited to see the women's play. Did it make you think this is something I could do? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favourite player? Oh, Emma Carney. Uh. Is Emma Carney <laughs> special to you for a reason? Yeah. What's that? Uh, she's also my PE teacher <laughs> at school. <laughs> Imagine Emma Carney's your PE teacher. That's amazing. <laughs> well, it sounds like she's having a huge influence on you guys. Does she let you kick the footy around at lunchtime? Yeah. Well, you've got to get your 10,000 touches, Amarin. We are going to be watching <laughs> you very closely. We cannot wait to see North Melbourne get a women's licence and then for you to be the captain of the team one day. <laughs> thank you so much for coming in today, Emma. It was lovely to meet you. And thank you, Cam, so much. Really impressed with all the stuff that you're doing down there at North Melbourne. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much to Cam and to Amarin for coming in. If you want to catch up on anything that's happening out at North, um, they have a fantastic website and there's heaps of videos. They also have the huddle is featured on all of their social media. So Get on board and follow them. You'll be inspired. Um, one thing that's inspiring is their theme song. <laughs> I love the North theme song. It's one of my favourites, actually. I like the little chant they do to start it. Here we are. Here we are. That one? Here that we one. go today. Yeah. I don't even know. I just <laughs> mind. Here we go. Here we go today. Something. Yeah. Something just to play. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the football, I've had some criticism. People saying the Hawthorne football song is just too, you know, we're a happy team at Hawthorne. Uh, people That's are criticised Carlton, <laughs> you know, we keep our end up and <laughs> on it goes. There is a big tradition, obviously, with the footy song and uh, grown men huddling around at the end of a game, cuddling and singing their song. And some people think it's quite trite. We're using tunes from 100 years ago to come together and, and sing these songs. So I thought I'd give it a little bit of gravitas today. <laughs> and I just wanted to re quickly read the Gold Coast, Melbourne and West Coast theme songs um, because I just want to show that there's actual poetry in this. But without um, – you, you can't read a good poem without some good music. So I got some unlicensed <laughs> SoundCloud. So this is <laughs> – the Gold Coast theme song. We are the sons of the Gold Coast sky. We are the one in the red, gold and blue. We are the mighty Gold Coast sons. We play to win the flag for you. Fight, fight till we hold up the cup. Run, Run all the way. We are the sons of the Gold Coast sky. We are the team who never say die. <laughs> See what I mean? It's all of a sudden, it means something. Woo! I feel like a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> well, with 
and Lucy, my backup singer. Um, <laughs> the Melbourne theme song, just quickly, and then oh, I want you the all best. join the, the West Coast, the yeah. Melbourne. Bring it, bring it. It's a grand old flag. It's a high flying flag. It's the emblem for me and you. It's the emblem of the team we love. It's the team of the red and the blue. Every heart beats true for the red and the blue. And we sing this song to you should old acquaintances be forgot. Keep your eye on the red and the blue. <laughs> See? Oh, my gosh. That is beautiful. But I, yeah, keep I, Yeah, keep it going. Because I want, I want Kate and Lucy, Nicole and you Emma to really sing behind me. this. Because oh God, this with a bit of singing as well. Thank God Felicity's not here. <laughs> hey, Eagles. Hey, Eagles. Hey, Eagles. Hey, Eagles. We're flying high. We're flying high. We're flying high. We're flying high. We're the Eagles, the West Coast Coast Eagles, Eagles. and we're here to show you why. Why? We're the big birds, (laughs) kings of the big game. We're the Eagles. We're We're flying flying high. We're flying high. We're flying high. And again, we're We're flying high. We're the Eagles, the West Coast Eagles. We're here to show you why. We're the big birds, kings of the big game. We're the Eagles. We're flying high. We're the Eagles, the West Coast Eagles, and we're here to show you why. We're the big birds. We're the big birds, kings of the big game. We're the Eagles. We're flying high. We're the Eagles. We're flying high. Oh, West Coast Eagles. Copyright from oh Sesame God. Street. Big, invoking I didn't big know bird they like said that. Big bird. I, yeah. I didn't even know it started the the start. Hey eagles. Hey eagles. Hey eagles. Four times. <laughs> it's hey, very repetitive. It's yep. um, Thank God you didn't do Frio Heave Ho. <laughs> I was going to. I was going to do the Hawks. Hey Heave Ho. Can I? <laughs> can I put in a request for poetry rot, watch or whatever poetry we're going to call watch. it? Yeah, let's call every it. week for yeah, the rest of the season. I want to hear every theme song. With this much gravitas right. and passion, maybe with a um, with a Kate Bush style film oh, clip to go oh, with it. Yes. <laughs> well, you know it's Kate yes. Bush Day coming up. I think it might be this weekend. Of if course, you're in Melbourne, Edinburgh Gardens, <laughs> red dress, get down there, Heathcliff. Oh, it's me. Um, that made me think of theme songs, Alicia. Yes. Oh, no, Junior. No, no, no. It was a big leap, that one, wasn't it? A big leap. You know when I said I was going to be articulate at the start? I was lying. Um, you know, junior football clubs all have, they make up a song and they put it usually to the tune of a club song. I reckon about 75% have it to the tune of the Richmond song. Mm. Yes. yes. And I thought, because if you get to choose, well, why, else why would wouldn't you, you choose that one? But yeah. I was thinking it'd be really great this week. Maybe people could tweet us in. What mm. theme song does your local club use? Mm. Maybe can we, we could do, do a, a Twitter poll. poll. Yeah, can we do a poll and go like, does your junior club use yes, the Richmond one or another one? <laughs> yes. We'll see whether yeah, the Richmond still beats. I reckon yeah, the Richmond against it. all of the rest. Yeah. That actually, um, I feel like you were invoking some kind of Celine Dion. Yes. Then, which is I ironic, but I was seeing you with like wind machine, yeah. nice. chest pumping. Yep. Have we got a, a Celine Dion watch We do. We do. So it's a new segment in a way <laughs> and this, an is, this is the segment of all segments exactly it's a newy but an oldie um one of you i think maybe lucy suggested that we started to introduce celine dion watch now you might wonder what on earth does celine dion to have have to do with the footy but just go with me for a moment here 
Celine is in the news. She's everywhere at the moment. She's everywhere. She's touring. I think she's been in London. She's wowing the crowds. I saw an article a couple of days ago that said that she's the the fashion icon of 2017. She's just nailing it every week. She's looking amazing. I'm struggling to believe she's, that. She's ama- she posed nude for Vogue uh, just this week. So wow. I haven't looked at those photos, but that's you know that's your jam. Good luck. All the best. Um, but I I was thinking about Celine and how she's she's becoming. She just seems to be cool right now. She's sort of so uncool that she's become cool. You know when that thing happens. And so I was doing a bit of googling, looking around at things, and I came across a 2014 essay in the New Yorker about Celine. <laughs> so I read it. It's by Ian Crouch, and it's called "People Who Like Celine Dion Are People Too." <laughs> We don't discriminate now, here at Outer Sanctum. No, 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 no. We welcome everyone. We do. It's about uh, inclusivity. Exactly. Even if you like Celine. Dion. Even if you like Celine. Anyway, this essay, it's really, it's a, it's a very interesting essay. And one of the things that Ian Crouch talks about is his reading of a, a, a series of short books which are about specific artists and albums, one of which is a book by Carl Wilson called Let's Talk About Love, which is about Celine. And writing about Celine in an attempt to redeem her, really, or to explain why people love her, Wilson says this, and I'll quote, Her songs are often about the struggle of sustaining an emotional reality, about fidelity, faith, bonding and survival <laughs> much like many of the theme songs yeah, and definitely. and Alicia has just yep. sh- shown that, that to West us Coast one. absolutely yep. survival and strength bonding faith choosing a big bird to really love that's right and sometimes you know and, and the emotional reality which for Hawthorne is just trying to remain happy despite are, despite yeah. what Riding happens despite everything despite whatever is so thrown do up you at think us. that the Hawthorne one is like this we're happy no we're happy okay we're happy yes or I, I think it is it's called you make talk. it till you make it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a kind of mindfulness meditation, a mantra of sorts. You just repeat it enough. Um, anyway, and and this this terrific article by by Crouch ends with um with a quote from one of Celine's hits, where he says, you know, her 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 lyrics are often vaguely inspirational and cheerful, vaguely inspirational, not fully inspirational, but anyway, as she says in one of her songs, "Don't give up on your faith. Love comes to those who believe it, and that's the way it is." And I think that's a lovely message of hope for this 2017 season. Would have been better if you sang it. For all fans. Yeah. Would have been better if you sang it. Don't say what you... No. Uh, <laughs> I'll do the power of love next time. Well, do you know what this makes me think? I just think that so rarely is Celine Dion mentioned in footy. Like I just yeah. don't see <laughs> not it. I don't see 360 covering thing. it enough. I don't see Jared Waitley's just not talking about Celine enough. If you have loved Celine Watch, <laughs> the new seg- the new footy segment that everyone's going to be talking about, can you get on iTunes and give us a review and mention the name Celine Dion and we will cry with laughter and appreciate that so much. We have a special treat to go out um, with today because, and it seems so appropriate, but this week on Twitter we found a song that is a song that you play for a draw which is hilarious because this is what happens. The reason no why song. the draw is such a letdown is because there is no song. So we mock Silence. the songs, mm, yeah. mm. but you've got no reference to Big Bird at the end of the song. How do you know when to go home? Exactly. Everyone just stands around scratching their ass. So we're going to finish with um, the song 
for a draw, which I think you'll really appreciate. And we are so grateful that you stuck with us this week. <laughs> <laughs> we be, be kind to each other in the words of Ellen. And we will see you next week. And um, go footy. Go see, see you. you. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.